newspapermen meet such interesting people. They know the lowdown. The Media Project is a half hour of commentary and analysis on what's going on in the news media. We hope to bring you some insight into that. From our perspective here in the great Northeast, I'm Rex Smith of uh, The Upstate American, formerly editor of the Times Union in Albany and The Record in Troy. I am here with Rosemary Armeo, investigative journalist for many years and media professor, and Ian Pickus, the news director of WAMC, also a professor these days. You guys are bringing along the next generation. Raise a new voice, huh? We're trying. <laughs> Good luck with that. I don't know. Very tough. Well, look, we uh, we need to talk about a number of issues that are going on, but let's start with a big one. Suddenly, Rupert Murdoch is out of there, a 92-year-old media magnate, uh, the guy who created uh, Fox News, for which I have always considered him one of the three worst people in the world. You can name the other two, but what do we think? Is this going to make any difference? No, <laughs> no. it is not. He, uh, unlike secession, yeah, um, he's left at ninety-two. That's probably you know twenty years too late. But he's got sons who are trained in the business and know his philosophy and share it. And he's going to go off and I guess look for the newest wife after losing Jerry Hall and his latest fiance. Yeah, he can pursue other interests, as they say. Hmm. Well, we know from a lot of reporting that there has been some daylight between the two brothers about the future of the company. But the the one who was pushing for reform apparently is not the heir apparent now. Correct. So it's pretty clear that Rupert Murdoch's business genius in monetizing this sort of right-wing media ecosystem, it's probably here to stay. Why wouldn't it be? It's immensely profitable. Aside from the Dominion lawsuit bump in the road over the past year, I don't see any major reason that Fox would change the way it does things. He's got a few minor things happening. There's another lawsuit by another voting machine company that they maligned and lied about. And another sexual harassment case, I guess, as well. Well, I don't know if it's a bump in the road, though. $785 million <laughs> yeah. settlement. Uh, I don't think, however big a company is, and Fox is, of course, huge, still a $785 million judgment might make you think twice about your direction, about whether it's really such a good idea to give free reign to these commentators who lie uh, with impunity. Do you really think so? It has not hurt Donald Trump. They back Donald Trump. They're going to ride the financial tsunami that's coming with the new election. All what? they have to do is the same thing they did four years ago. I don't know. I have a sense that because of the shifting tides of American politics, you know, it's just like the tide. It ebbs, it flows. I wonder if there might come a time where this populist right-wing media empire may finally meet another wall where there may be a time when it maybe it's wishful thinking because Fox News has dramatically changed the media landscape in this country. I don't know if there would be not just the media landscape. I don't know if there would be such a powerful populist movement in America, such disregard for factual reporting in the media if Fox News hadn't started setting that standard 20 years ago. I agree with you, Rex. And maybe parts of the empire are passe. After all, this was a a guy who made his bones in the tabloid industry and mm. the, the newspapers that he runs the wall street journal obviously is a different case but you know the new york post day has probably come and gone but the fox primary remains in place and those pretenders in the right wing um, tv ecosystem who emerged when Fox finally belatedly broke with Donald Trump. They're not real challenges to Fox in the long run, at least not now. And Fox is really well positioned in the 2024 cycle already. The question is, how do they deal with the presumptive presidential nominee? Because 
like most of the right at a certain point, I think uh, Rupert Murdoch was happy to move on from Trump, but that doesn't seem to be one of the viable options right now. So, so listening to you, Ian, I'm not sure why you said you agree with Rex, who's had this, yes, I would say it's wishful thinking. There's going to be a big change. I don't see anything in what you say or in reality that portends a change. You're right. Newsmax, ONA are not going to match him. He's still got control. Trump is back and they can run a re- and, and the new guys that they have, they got rid of Tucker Carlson, but mm-hmm. the new guys are not reasonable, calm, fully dedicated to the truth. I guess it's wishful thinking, but it does seem to me that there's got to be a point where enough people get frustrated with the failure of government, which failure lies at the feet of people refusing to engage, and that is encouraged by Fox News. Fox News encourages the sort of uh, nihilistic viewpoint that government doesn't have a value, let's just be against everything, which is what's leading to the government shutdown lying ahead. Eventually, aren't Americans going to get tired of that? Well, okay, here's the problem. 30 to 40 percent of people thinking that way is not enough to win a presidential election. However, it's enough to make you very, very rich, and that's all Fox needs. They don't need everyone to turn against the way government is run now. Hmm. The dissatisfied base is enough to make them an empire. Plus, sorry, the people who are watching Fox are an older voting demographic. Right. Well, and to your point, I guess, last year, here's uh, just new numbers that have come out. Both primetime and daytime cable news audiences grew for Fox News, but they decreased for CNN, MSNBC, and Newsmax. So Fox is still growing. The others are not. Maybe that underscores that Murdoch's day is not done, that the next generation is carrying on. Do you think that the legacy of Murdoch has to include the rise of MSNBC, which is, you know, a sort of a haven for the left, especially during the Trump years, and really tried to take on that mantle. We talked a lot on the show about CNN's failing ratings during that time, and the traditional model of kind of, you know, middle of the road reporting fell out of favor. Interesting question. So the the question is, if there weren't such a force on the right, yeah. would there be a force on the left exerting the, yeah, that's sort of a physics question, right? <laughs> uh-oh. Uh, uh-oh. But I always try to assert that MSNBC is not like Fox News on the left. That is, MSNBC does have a point of view. It is a progressive point of view, but they aren't lying. They aren't intentionally distorting the truth which Fox News does, Fox News intentionally. And what troubles me is not just the opinion hosts in the evening, but even the so-called straight news of Fox News is wildly distorted, the stuff that they don't cover. It's more sins of omission than commission. It's the stuff that just doesn't, you don't find out about. You don't know about climate change if you only watch Fox News. If you watch Fox News, news again, not just the commentary, you believe that Joe Biden is fumbling and uh, not at all sharp, which, by the way, the recent uh, reports from the, the meeting that Biden had one-on-one with Bibi Netanyahu hmm. says that is not so. The Netanyahu folks are saying, even off the record, no, man, he was sharp. He's right on top of things. Fox News, of course, wouldn't report that. But to your question, would there be a push on the left similar to the Fox News push on the right if Fox News hadn't launched. I don't think so. I think Fox News genuinely changed the course of American media. Well, you could look at right-wing radio, which happened before Fox. That did not result in left-wing radio. Liberals did not want to hear that sort of stuff. Right. Air America failed. Yeah, failed terribly. 
and it should have it should have succeeded. And then a layer on that, the failure of cable news overall. I mean, this sounds elitist. It is elitist. Liberals read, you know, they look at the New York Times and the Washington Post. They don't need a Fox. If you want a diet of that far right crap, you're going to turn on Fox. Mm-hmm. You're not reading. You don't trust those legacy Paris. Share your point of view, folks. Media at WAMC.org is how you get to the media project. That's Rosemary Armeo. You were just hearing Ian Pickus and I'm Rex Smith. By the way, one of the things we ought to think about is how different the standards are for folks on Fox versus on the mainstream media. Case in point. Kristen Welker took over as the host of Meet the Press, one of the sort of prestige spots in television journalism. And her first interview, she replaced Chuck Todd, was Donald Trump. And sure enough, came immediate pushback from people saying that she hadn't been tough enough on Trump, whereas, of course, Trump appearing on Fox News can get away with anything. And everybody just says, yeah, 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 that's Fox News. But is it fair to hold Kristen Welker to account? Is it fair to say that he got away with things that she, because, as the New York Times reporter tweeted, Trump like a normal, legit candidate, not one who tried to blow up our democracy and faces 91 felony indictments? Irresponsible journalism, the Times reporter called it. True? I hate that he was the first person on her show. I think that was a mistake, not by her so much as the booking agents. And as I understand it, they actually wanted Biden, which makes sense, the president. And he didn't want to go on because Hunter Biden had just been indicted shortly before. And it would have been, you know, the same week as the first show. So he declined a mistake on his part, I think. He does better when he just talks to the people more. But then to go after Trump, it's just like CNN inviting him onto a city hall. It is giving him a platform, a national platform. Does he really need that? So I thought she did just fine the same way I thought Caitlin Collins did fine in the city hall. But he wins every time he appears. He is, say what you will about him politically and as a human being, which is all bad. He knows how to play the media and he won. And then there's a call that, oh, she's a woman, she's a person of color, and so we're being too harsh on her. No, no, she is a smart, capable journalist. She can take the criticism, and she needs to listen to it. I think these are really thankless jobs. And I think Tim Russert, whose untimely death left a real void in the Sunday shows, set an impossible standard for all future hosts of Meet the Press to meet, and they they haven't been able to. Uh, David Gregory, Chuck Todd. The Sunday show's importance has waned significantly as our politicians have been more exposed. And having Trump on is a no-brainer from the perspective of a brand new host of Meet the Press, but it's never going to live up to as good as it could have been, quote-unquote. And it's a a magnet for that type of criticism. And I think even the article we're talking about doesn't come to a conclusion as to whether, is it a good idea to interview Trump? There are different schools of thought on this. One is, how could you not? He's got a 50-50 chance of being the next president. Yeah, I think you can't avoid interviewing Donald Trump. He's likely to be the Republican nominee as we sit here. And to NBC's credit, there were decisions made that seemed to try to avoid the pitfalls that CNN faced. Uh, For one thing, this was not live. Uh, They did it on tape because if you interview Trump live, he's just going to run the clock and totally dominate things. And she did try to fact check him in real time as she sat there. But then because he just keeps blabbing on, of course, I think that's the technical term for it, blabbing, (laughs) that she would come in on tape. She would come in back to the set during the uh, actual airing of the show and fact check that which she wasn't able to get in because there wasn't time for her to do it as he was taking a breath. So to NBC's credit, they tried to do as 
best they could with Donald Trump. But, you know, you're right. There's not much you can do. The guy knows how to play this he game. He does. Okay, so I'm not saying never interview Trump. Of course you can't because of the position that he holds. But this is a premier spot. It's the first guest of the new host. Did it have to be Trump? I want to give a shout-out here to Fareed Zakaria. Okay, he may be a plagiarist. But he has. <laughs> other than that. Other than that, I, I hold. Yeah, he has some ethical Maybe problems. Maybe he got too. over that. Maybe he's but not. But he has guests on that no one else does. Yeah. And I'm a, a regular cable TV watcher. It's all the same guests over and over again. Mm -hmm. Every show has it speaking basically on the same topic over and over and over again, except for Fareed Zakaria. And he brings on people you've never heard of before. They're very prominent, they're really articulate. They talk about issues in a way no one else does. Why can't Meet the Press be like that? Maybe then the Sunday shows would not be losing their significance. And by the way, can we bring back a media show on Sunday morning now that they got rid of Chris Like? He was the jerk who got rid of it in the first place. Could we bring one back? Look at the popularity of the show. People need to talk about the media, what it does right, what it does wrong, what it should be doing, and no one is doing that anymore. Good point. Programming suggestion uh, networks, <laughs> listen here. Pay attention <laughs> to the media project. That's actually a really, a, a really good point. But the fact is that does it meet the press Face the Nation this week on ABC, as well as the cable shows, they all do have this notion that we have to have big newsmakers. We have right. to have the, as you say, the, the cast of characters. Yeah, the names. And maybe bringing on just smart people who have great points of view that help us to understand. Of course, would that draw the audience? Maybe the fact is Fareed's show is, it doesn't have the need for such a big audience as the network show would. It can get by because it isn't meant to make money the way these shows are. What if you put on Netanyahu? What if you put on um, Trudeau? These are world leaders, too, and they have an appeal. That gets read in. Well, they did. I mean, Chuck Todd interviewed Netanyahu about six months ago. Yeah, it was, I know. Uh, Again, I'm talking about the first. Oh, you're, if you were a new host, you had to make a splash your first week. Everybody's watching you. Did it have to be either Trump or Biden? Hmm. Good question. Whether uh, Anyway, we are going to be uh, paying some attention to TV news as it goes forward, and we'll be paying attention to the digital world. And let's pay some attention to sports, folks, because sports is, in fact, big <laughs> news. You know, if you want to talk about the programming that draws viewers to television, it is all live sports. That's really mm -hmm. what mm -hmm. live television is about these days. We know what Americans care about, and sports journalism is terrifically important. Mm -hmm. because so much money goes into sports, because so much of our attention is there, because it sort of captures the American zeitgeist. And, and so sports writing, sports reporting is important, and it is often a place where journalism runs into this attempt to control the message at a level that we don't tolerate in politics, but somehow we let it happen in big money sports, such as NCAA. The USC football program, University of Southern California folks, has to suspended access to the team for two weeks for a, a new young reporter from the Orange County Register, a beat writer named Luca Evans, because apparently Evans so-called violated its policy, its so-called policy prohibiting reporting on anything outside of media availabilities in the practice facility. Now, Ian, you're more familiar with this than Rosemary and I are, but is this unusual that reporters would be barred from reporting outside media availabilities? Well, let me say this. I have watched a number of these examples over the years, and it never works out well for the school 
overreacting and suspending the reporter. They just <laughs> never win those battles in the long run because huh. it makes them look petty and it makes them look like they have something to hide. However, yes, this is very common, especially in college athletics. Uh, there are very limited rules and restrictions on where and when you can talk to coaches and athletes. And, you know, as a college student reporting on some of these teams, I remember seeing players in the hallway and in the dorms and things like that. And uh, you really were discouraged from using things that you might have gotten in that setting in your reporting. And there were consequences for it. And that was at a, a smaller place than USC. And it's all about control. It's about 10 minutes after the buzzer. The cool off period is over. The locker room's open. I've been in these locker rooms before. There's someone standing there with a stopwatch. And when that time period that's allotted by the NCAA is over, the reporters have to get out. One time I was covering the NCAA women's tournament here in Albany and the star player for UConn, which is the top program in the country most years, had left the game or didn't play, I can't remember. And then during this post-game availability, all the reporters went into the locker room to try to find her and see what happened. And she stood behind a shower curtain and never came out for the half hour and they ran out the clock and everyone left. Wow. And that is about Jeez. controlling information for reporters. And the schools have a lot of power in this dynamic. They can suspend your credential. They can move you to the other side of the court. I saw that happen at the university at Albany when the reporters were along the same bench as the basketball teams, hearing things the coach was saying, putting those things in the context of their stories. Next thing you know, you're sitting on the other side of the court. And uh, yes, I'd say well, this is very, very common. And I was just talking to one of my students the other day about how to handle a situation like this because he heard something he might want to report not in an official press conference, not in a sanctioned time or place. And I said, it better be worth it. You can do it, but you can probably only do it once. Mm -hmm. You know, I usually defend the media, but I want to do a knock here. I, I think that there is a different tradition in sports journalism than in news journalism. And it's showing now at a time when, as you say, this is big business, this is big money, and we need hard-hitting journalists. I still haven't forgiven sports journalism for Tiger Woods. Those reporters covering him knew what was going on, never covered it as a story, as a political story. They covered it as, uh, well, we were just covering his game. So he got away with a lot of stuff. They, they were not looking at him as something bigger than a really good golfer. And I think like some political of them, reporting in an earlier era, right? Exactly. Wasn't that how politics exactly. used to be covered? Yes, Kennedy, for example, his offensives and FDR, whose physical problems were never discussed in the in the media, even though reporters knew about it. They have gradually come to see, like, if you're in the public light, you get covered. And we don't fully have it. We're getting there, but don't fully have that in sports right now. Why are you putting up with that? You know, you, you fight back. The, the, the White House has tried to keep reporters out, and it's also gone very badly for them there, and they don't do it now. And I, I think that's what's missing, but it is coming for sports journalism. I'm encouraged by the coverage of soccer, where in Spain, the head of the soccer program became embroiled after a game, interestingly, if that should have been great news and victory and celebration in Spain, he kissed a woman player on the lips without her permission, without any warning, and then doubled down when she complained and then was a criminal complaint, and now he's out. That's an amazing story. It has nothing to do with sports, and the sports journalists are there on the line. They need to cover this stuff and to fight for themselves. It's so hard, though, when this venue is controlled yes. By, yes. and you don't have free access. You know, we've had this experience in in 
in politics, you, we can't get easy access to the governor, for example. It used to be when I covered politics in the state capitol <laughs> a generation ago, during the, the tenure of Mario Cuomo, the second floor of the capitol where the executive offices are was not blocked off. Mm-hmm. I could wander into the lieutenant governor's office and often did. I could wander up to the fourth floor where the finance staffs were and, and talk to people that none of the other reporters would talk to. That kind of access is now blocked uh, so that reporters don't find their way uh, to places. And um, if you go into agency buildings even to try to talk to, say, counsel to the State Department of Transportation, you're cut off from that, which is why so many reporters now are reduced to taking emails from flax instead of being able to actually talk to sources. Increasingly, the control of physical space Mm -hmm. is inhibiting us. But to your point, Rosemary, also reporters tend to accept those. Yeah, yeah, accept the rules. Accept the rules. It's like, no, we're not going to cover it. I need need more access. Mm -hmm. And you can address this, Ian. I applaud that young journalist. Good for you. And I think we're teaching them to observe everything, observe it and write it down. So if you're not in the sanctioned press conference and you see the star player hobble by on crutches, you should put that in your story and you should pursue it. And a lot of times there's recrimination. And I'm also aware of the fact that if you're on a sports beat, you're with that team for a season. You got to work with these people day in and day out. You want to be there as much as they are so you can tell what's going on. And you're doing a disservice to the story of that team by leaving things out, too. Yeah. Well, the close relationship, though, allows you to negotiate. You're not saying being confrontational as I am, you know, let me be here or I'm going to not cover. You say, come on, this isn't reasonable. Can yeah. Come on, let me do this. I am going to print this. But you negotiate. That's what a source relationship is. It's a whole different world for professional athletes, of course, because yeah. they exist on a plane different from ours. My wife talks about her late father, who was a sports writer, became the sports editor of the New York Times, and he was reporting from the 1930s on. That's how old he was. He says that what changed in sports coverage was money, that there was a time when the reporters and the athletes made about the same amount of money. They stayed in the same (laughs) hotels. They rode in the trains together. And when suddenly the athletes were guarded, literally protected by guards, or when they were able to go to elite hotels and travel on their own, then suddenly the stories changed. Reporters might have protected their player sources. You know, a lot of uh, reporters knew that Mickey Mantle was drinking a lot, for example. Mm -hmm. They knew about womanizing by athletes, though in those days it wasn't considered verboten, but they didn't write about it. And it is now not possible in some cases to get it. But if you knew about Tiger Woods, for example, how would you not report about that? Well, because you're worried about the source relationship. It's like like politics. Same thing happens in politics. If you're covering a politician and you blow with a source, that person's not going to talk to you. It's one of the things about managing a beat that you always look at a beat reporter who can write a tough story and still get that person to come on the phone the next day. And the really great reporters manage to do that by just being upfront and square all the time and let people know, look, there's going to be a bad story tomorrow because of this. And generally, they survive. We saw this week the demise of the New York Times sports section, Mm. speaking about experienced and powerful journalists who are now kind of lost. I guess they're being reassigned to other places in the paper. Yeah, but the Times has the athletic. uh, Right, non-union. Independent platform, exactly. That's the only difference. But I read the athletic now. I get the newsletter every day, and I... 
I think they do a great job. I mean, I'm really enjoying reading it, whereas the Times underplayed its own sports coverage in their daily newsletters. So for readers, I don't feel as though much has been lost. I think in the newsroom itself, I think it has probably. Yeah, it's very sad to see, in my opinion, because, you know, the Times sports section, if you're a fan of a team, you can tell the difference in tone and coverage. But they, a lot of times you know, would be behind the the Daily News and the Post in terms of the roster moves or so-and-so is sitting out after going 0 for 4 or whatever. But they had a way of summing it up uh, that I think culturally we will miss, even though a lot of those reporters are going to move to a different part of the paper. The, The, you know, Sports of the Times approach, I think, will be lost when The Athletic becomes the lead organ. Hmm. Yeah, that is interesting. We'll have to follow that. Finally today, a very troubling uh, aspect. The Las Vegas Review-Journal had a crime reporter, a young woman named Sabrina Schnur. And when a retired police chief, a guy named Andreas Probst, was killed in a hit-and-run last month, and this reporter was right there. She wrote about it. She, She talked to the family, did an obituary. But then she was the reporter who got video footage of the killing, went to the police, and found out that, in fact, there was going to be a murder charge filed. This was somebody who intentionally hit the police chief. She wrote about this, but social media came back attacking her for the initial story, for the fact that the story had not reported as a murder. The first story, it had reported what they knew at the time that he had died. And this poor reporter has gotten hundreds and hundreds of messages attacking her to the point that her parents are fearful. This is how social media is now treating reporters in this country. I hate readers. (laughs) (laughs) She didn't say listeners. (laughs) No, I didn't. But for years in the newspaper, you know, you only heard from the the idiots. This This is just so bad. She is doing a spectacular job. I hope that as journalists we can send her uh, notes of support. She did exactly what she was supposed to, follow the story and go where the facts lead you. And it changed dramatically. What a great story she found herself in. Can you imagine when she went to the cops and they said to her, yeah, you're right, there's a murder charge. She must have been so excited that day, never expected to see this sort of reaction. And all you can just do is just fight back, say, no, we covered this, and then we did this. I'm sorry we didn't have it right away. I wish I did, but I didn't know it was a murder on day one. I'm not God. I'm just a reporter. And she's brave. She's still she's reporting. very brave, yeah. Mm-hmm. And and that paper, too, that paper has had a series of oh, yeah. horrible events. Their ownership was taken over by a conservative group that just shut down the paper, and the reporters reported on the, the censorship, basically. And then one of the reporters was killed by some municipal official that he was covering. I really want to go work in Las Vegas. There now. you go. Well, yeah. It'd be a wow. great place. Note this, by the way. Elon Musk tweeted against her. Elon Musk amplified uh, one of those nasty tweets. Um, Not sure if he had to pay for the right, though. Yeah. <laughs> Elon <laughs> to Musk. To make the tweet. Contender for the— <laughs> He's in Rex's top three. For the Musk. Uh, yes, a contender for the, the Murdoch crown. All right. Is it still a tweet? Is it, what's the verb now? What do you do? We're not X? saying X. We're not. We're not, saying, we're not no. going to do that. Let's no. draw the line. Are, are you going to pay? Are you going to stay on if you have to pay personally? I know the station. No. You know, I saw that blue check come and go. I think I'm fine with the X yeah. coming and going. Yeah, there it goes. This is the Media Project. That was Ian Pickus, Rosemary Armeo, and I'm Rex Smith. We are grateful to our producer, Dave Gustina, for bringing all this along, and to you folks for joining us once again this week on the Media Project. Music.